welcome back to the Social World Podcast. I'm Dave Niven, and as usual, it's a delight to have your company, and I hope you'll continue also letting me have some feedback and um, keep listening. Now, today, I've got a treat for you. I've got a previous guest that I promised we'd do a follow-up to because the, just the, the job that she does is just so broad-based. Today with me again is uh, Aki Even. Now, Aki is the Secretary General at Missing Children Europe. She spoke, if you were lucky enough to hear her, a few podcasts ago. But we did agree that there's just so much in her world to talk about that we really needed to do a second one. So, Aki, welcome. Hello again. Hello. Uh, thank you for having me again, David. No, oh, you're very welcome. Now, let's get straight into it, if that's all right. Um, I mean, all the details about you and your organization, the links and everything that people would need are going to be on the front page, as they were last time, of this podcast. Now, one of the areas that I know you were uh, unable to talk about as fully as you could because of time last time is something that's been really um, absorbing Missing Children Europe now for quite some time, and that's the category of missing children that we call runaways. Do, do you want to say just a little bit about your, your, the organization's thinking on this and also what you're planning on it? Absolutely. Um, so runaways is the largest category of missing children that are reported to our hotlines and I guess also to the police. Um, as mentioned before, uh, Missing Children Europe uh, coordinates a network of members in in different countries, and one of these one of the things most of our members do, twenty two of them, uh, run a one one six zero 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 hotline, um, where you can report a missing children case, or where parents can find support, or where children can call um, if if they're at risk of going missing, if they think a peer is at risk of going missing, mm. and fifty three percent of the calls and cases that we get. Um, are around uh, missing children cases. Those are the numbers in 2020. So it is the largest and consistently has been in the past, I think, six or seven years since we've started um, consistently reporting our cases or recording our cases and publishing about them. Um, it's been more than 50% every year, and it goes between 50 and 60% of, of all of the cases. Yeah. So it's a, it's a very large group, and uh, it's a group that, that does face quite a bit of challenges. Um, it's often misunderstood, um, sometimes viewed by police or by social workers sometimes, or by teachers as, as children who have problem behaviour, who, who act out. Um, often also because once they've run away, they need to rely on stealing or illegal activities to, to, to feed themselves or to, to find a place to stay um, and to keep themselves um, keep themselves going. Um, and so they're often kind of viewed as, as children with, with issues. Um, but what we see in the figures and when we ask um, about the cases, we see that 68% of the cases um, of children who run away um, and who, uh, no, 68 of children who faced violence. So six of all the cases where an element of violence was there, 68% of the cases were runaway children. So that's, it's a, there's a very strong link between run, running away from home or the institution where you're placed and having issues of violence, abuse, conflict um, are often the reasons why uh, some why they run away. So that we we would like people to see running away as something of a more of a red flag of something going on at home or in in the institution where children are placed, uh, rather than yeah. So that's that's the endeavour. 
and okay. then we have a whole lot of activities around that. Well, look, before we get to that, let, let's could we just take a little minute or two to deconstruct a little bit and look at the the, the different reasons that children run away? Yeah. Um, because I've I, in my practice over the years, I've come across a few situations where children have been so badly abused in the ho- in at, at home, often by a, an incoming step parent. Mm-hmm. Or, or relative, you know, um, then that effectively they are damaged hugely. And to some extent, they run away because they can't take it anymore. That's fine. And the, the, the parent, the other parent isn't able to protect them or isn't, doesn't want to or isn't, isn't capable of or has their own demons to battle. So mm-hmm. what happened in this particular case was that an 11-year-old boy was badly abused, ran away, but he had somehow forced into, if you want to sort of be metaphorical about it, into a compartment in his mind, all the abusive stuff, and he'd shut it off. And he lived for several years off the streets doing what you said, some illegal things, just anything to survive among the feral child community that most large cities have. Then one day he was standing at a bus stop and somebody took umbrage at him, an adult, uh, who looked exactly like his stepfather. It wasn't, but it did. And for some reason it just completely triggered and broke the dam and and everything. And he stabbed the man just instinctively because the whole thing was, he was about to be abused again, he thought, you know, in his his kind of Mm. mixed up mind. And so from being a poor uh, victim, you know, having to live on the streets, in the space of an afternoon, he became, in the eyes of the public, a monster. Mm -hmm. And trying to deal with everything that that involves is just an enormity. And you just don't know how many thousands of youngsters with this compartmentalized abuse or even uncompartmentalized abuse flushing through their system are out mm-hmm. there hiding in the streets that we walk every day. Mm-hmm. That's my experience of that. And I wondered if that resonates with you a bit. To some extent, I would say that that's a very extreme case where there's a lot of missed opportunities. And it makes me very sad to think about that. I, I do think it's it's quite common. Like the, the beginning of what you said, like an incoming step parent, mm-hmm. ch- changes in the family structures um uh, is very common uh, a common trigger so problems at home I, when, when we ask in our annual survey reasons why children have run away uh, the first the main uh, reason is always problems at home and then problem in the institution where children are placed or a lot of children also run away from foster families so there's there's an overrepresentation of children in alternative care mm. whether it's a foster home or a or a, an institution uh, where they have been placed, a care institution. So that that is something that's quite quite common. Um, and so there, there's definitely already a lot going on before uh, this episode of running away happens. And so that that's where we do a lot of you know advocacy on you know quality alternative care, where foster care, particularly trained foster parents, uh, are usually a, a safer home for children than institutions where. You know, sometimes there's just too too many children in in one space, not enough 
individual attention um, and so that that's something we do work on but what you just mentioned indeed where the family structure changes a new child that's been born a, a divorce and, and a step parent or a, a newly composed family that that also often can be one of the, one of the reasons um, and so I think um, that those are the two main reasons problems at home and problems in yeah. the institution where a child was placed um, can I ask you something? Can I just drill down a little bit? Because I know we were going to mention in a minute the kind of projects and um, uh, and programs that you've got coming on board to try and address this as well, to try and help. But just before that, you, your organisation, Missing Children Europe, essentially uh, is in contact with covers and takes data from about, if I remember rightly, about 26 different countries. Yeah. Each, each yeah. different country has a different safety net system for children yes. and vulnerable people and I, I say that generously because some nets have big holes in them uh, and other countries are quite you know quite good on 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 paper what, what difficulties have you found in trying to find sort of universal um, support for looking at mm -hmm. these issues well, I, th I think, yeah, no, I, th I think you're absolutely right. I, th I think in, in looking at universal support, of course, we focus very much on the, the, the moment of missing. So yeah. picking up signals of children who are about to go missing. And so for that one, we do see that there's common behaviors across the board. For example, a, a child that goes missing often already goes missing from school for a bit um for short episodes so you know missing school is, is is a is one of the red flags and so for example working with schools and and all countries have schools uh, working with schools and teachers um schools are such a and such an important signal function and that's one of the things we also saw, saw last year because I, I noticed that you said 26 countries that we have data from that was the case three years ago since covid we have data from 23 or 22 countries because ah. the access to the data has been more difficult and 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 uh, organizations are under stress so so that's gone down a bit but yes ideally we do have data for more countries um so that being said with covid and and school closures the signal function of schools um and and also the, the safe space that schools are for for some children um fallen away and so we do see that that had an impact on, on children running away mm. um maybe i'm digressing a bit here but i think i think schools have an important signal function and then an, another thing that we see very often is that you know two-thirds of children who run away will return within the week but if the situation stays the same, if nothing happens after that episode of running away, and we had one of the children that we talked to, um, you know, saying, like, I, I was returned. She was away for, I think, about a week. It was a case in Belgium. It was a girl who ran away. Um, and so she she ran away for, for about a week. And when she returned, uh, it, it was all managed well, but, like, nobody came to speak to her after there was no policeman and no social worker who came in and did a return home interview as you would call them in the UK uh, that wasn't done and that's something however way you do it and whoever you decide and however your structure works if you do if nobody not a teacher not a social worker not someone from the police not somebody from a missing children NGO nobody comes in and does an interview and asks like why did you run away what was the situation you know has it changed um then chances are that children run away again and so oh. once a child uh, does not if the situation doesn't change you know and that's what we see more and more in recent years that repeat runaways and so 
um, the repeat runaways. Um, I think 40% of children who ran away between three and 10 times of the children who run more than once. So, you know, it once it becomes a pattern um, of, you know, it, because what we see is running away is a problem solving behavior. It's actually a child that sees no other way to solve the problems that it has uh, than this. And it might not be the best decision because they miss information. They miss a risk assessment that an adult would make for them and say, well, this is not safe to do. But to them, it's a way to solve a problem. They're really trying to actively solve a problem. Uh, and so it's really, it's not a problem behavior. It's a problem solving behavior, I always say. Um, and so once that's worked for them and, and you know, not, but it, it doesn't change the whole situation, they'll continue to do that uh, as a way to, and so, yeah, your, your young person that you were talking about at 11 is, is unfortunately one of those cases where it gets very extreme. I know, I know it was very extreme. It just, it, it just um, illustrated, if you like, the, 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 the most extreme tip of things sometimes, exactly. but, but it's yeah. good for people to think about that. But now, okay, but look, I want to ask you to explain a little bit about the radar project that you're getting yes. involved with and um, anybody that's listening where they can look it up after you've explained it. <laughs> yes, you'll, you'll fairly easily find the project, but I'll tell you something about it first. Uh, radar is the project is called uh, Running Away, Drivers, um, awareness and responses that's that's what it's short for so we wanted to look into what the drivers of running away are so the first part of the project was really about research trying to find out what are the real reasons why children run away and what we thought is what we call adverse childhood experiences unpleasant and uh, harmful experiences uh, at home or where they live or at school are usually at the bottom of it. And so we had that in, we had that in inkling and I think we knew that from previous research, but not a lot had been done on it yet um, in Europe. Um, most of the research that exists is from the UK or from the US, uh, particularly in the US, a lot is known. And so we, ha we had very little that was more about continental Europe. And so what we wanted to do is to find with our partners um, data on what, what is really going on? And so we did that together with um, the University of Liège and Child Helpline, um, who run uh, a network of helplines for children and then our own network of missing children hotlines. And we both work, you know, both of the organizations and both of the, the hotlines um, take a lot of cases on um, running away. And so that's that's what we talked about. And we, we went into some research, uh, both of the organizations, to, to figure out, like, what are the real drivers? Then we... Um, what we what we did, and I think I think in this project, and I'm very proud of the young girl I was just talking about who told us her story, oh, is yeah. part of our youth board. Um, so we have an expert board of people who work on mental health, on um, you know young carers, but you know children caring for a parent with addiction or, or mental health issues, young people with mental health issues. So we have a whole expert board of people in alternative care, um, of, of really experts, adult experts, professionals, and then aside from that, we have a, a youth board which is young people between 15 and 25 when it started. Now they're between 17 and 27. Um, when it started, uh, now as we're ending the project, and so they advise us and have been, you know, giving us advice on what we should look into, advice about the questionnaires, uh, have been part of focus groups and have been directing, you know, what, what we should be asking young people with this experience in those focus groups. And in focus groups, we interviewed, I think, about 35 of them, if I'm not mistaken, between 35 and 40 children. Okay, okay which was quite the challenge during COVID-19, but we did it all online. 
And um, yeah, so from across Europe, we interviewed people, uh, young people to find out what, you know, what drove them to run away. So people, young people with the experience, experience experts, um, and they've been been part of this process the whole time. Um, so we, we did that after we closed that research, we published it. It's on our website. So it's on missingchildreneurope.eu slash runaways. And that's where you'll find right. everything. And there's something uh, coming up, isn't there? Yes. Yeah. So yeah so i think what we what we then did is to look at what are good responses across europe that are already happening and looking at good practices such as as those uh, return home interviews such as safeguarding in schools um and, and prevention in schools um just two examples and of course then the awareness raising part starts and so one of two things we've done is we've established runaways month which is in november it's celebrated in the us and we've tried to make it take root in uh, in, in belgium as well and we just am i saying belgium is where we are based but um europe uh, broadly um and so that that's something we've done in the past month and this month uh, we have been promoting um, our large course, uh, the first European course that we're going to be doing, uh, an online course. It will be for free. Um, if you want a certificate, it will cost you 25 euros, I think. But if you do it without a certificate, it's completely for free. And it starts for the first time in January uh, 23rd. That's when we're launching the course. Um, but on our website, missingchildreneurope.eu, you can already uh, pre-register and then you get a notification when the course starts. And so all of our, the expertise and the research that we that we found uh, during this time will be gathered together. All the good practices that we found in our research will be gathered together and, and the experts we talk to. And two of the children will also be telling their story in the course. Um, so, yeah, it's also something okay. we're developing it's very positive it does i mean and you know i mean well i mean you know feeding into the inevitable fact that there's always going to be people that need to listen there's always going to be people that don't know much about it and don't realize the scale of the problems actually can i just take a little bit of a, a sort of a cul-de-sac here for a second because when we talked before you talked about the fact that um because of a lack of research at the moment um, or access to it, you were still having to rely on some figures from a long time ago in yes, terms of, for correct. example, the number of children in Europe that go missing every year. Yes. And I think the figure was about a quarter of a million, if I remember rightly. Yes, at the time, yes. You couldn't, you couldn't swear on the Bible that that was the case because you haven't really had proper data for quite some years. Is that right? No. No, and it's a global issue. I, I, mm. I was speaking to ICMEC recently, the International Center for Missing and Exploited Children, and they, they're telling me they're dealing with the same problems so on a global level. It's extremely hard to get hard data on how many children have gone missing. Yeah. Mm, right. Okay. Interesting, because it's quite important to um, not only know for all sorts of purposes and all sorts of agency reasons, but it's also quite important to see how you can measure any change. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. Mm. Um, and, and another thing that complicates, of course, the, the, the measuring of change and, and uh, is, is, of course, one of the, the issues we're dealing with in terms of runaways is underreporting. That is why we don't have the data, because not everybody takes the reports in the same way or takes reporting seriously. So actually an increase in the numbers might actually be meaning that we're doing our job better because we're reporting them better and keeping track of them better. Um, so, yeah, it, it, I think another challenge we'll have if we, if, if we manage to get 
actual reporting on an annual basis of, of these data by, you know, or consistent recording of the data is that, you know, initially we'll hopefully see an increase uh, in the figures because children are reported better because a lot of these runaways are not reported in the right way mm. or not reported consistently. And that's one of the findings from that research report also. So oh, reporting think, is... Yeah. So are you reporting? Sorry, interrupting. I, I just got the impression too, though, that it's all part of the same continuum in terms of trust, because yeah. you will get more um, figures and people coming forward about things if, if you're trusted yes. more. I mean, it's a little bit like um, mm. survivors of childhood abuse uh, yeah. who, are, who are adults now who traditionally didn't come forward because they didn't think they'd be treated seriously or they would have to go through all sorts of problems again. But now there's more trust within the actual authorities or Mm -hmm. the social work, police, et cetera. So you get more people. But anyway, look, so talk to me a little bit more then about, I I tell you what, let's look at the entire picture first, just by headlines, because we've talked about runaways, okay? That's a huge Mm -hmm. area. But what other headings for missing children do you kind of look at and operate on? Yeah. There's, there's, a, there's a, a real a range of, of types of missing children cases. So runaways is the largest group. Mm. Um, and then I think um, another f- fairly large group and, and continuously growing group is the group of parental abductions. I call them parental abductions now, which is when we talk about international child abductions. People that, that's, what, that's the official name. People don't always understand it's actually a, a, a parent or guardian who, or a non-custodial parent who takes a child abroad and not a criminal abduction. Criminal abductions are only, it's less than half a percentage, luckily, yeah. Yeah. of all the reported cases. And those are usually handled by the police um, because they're criminal cases. So that's not something in which an NGO that runs a hotline, you know, is, you know, we support the parents yeah. who, who are in, in, in great distress during this time. That's what we do. We might spread posters and, and support the police in their work, but those cases are very much led by the police. In case of an, a parental abduction, there's no crime. And so it, it becomes a very much a judicial matter. Um, and so that's, that's a, a large group of children that we're working on, particularly because this is the largest group of um, of international cases, so in on most of these cases, or very many of these cases, are international. So it's you know, a parent, uh, you know, an, an, a mixed couple um, that the family breaks down, um, and one of the parents, you know, then wants to go back and and be closer to their their own family and want to take the children. It's often the mother in the past. It was it was often the mother, but that's that's changing now. Now it's more often the father, but still in 63% of cases last year, it was the mother. Oh, um, wow. The amount of fathers is growing uh, because there's more gender equality. <laughs> fathers sometimes follow their wives as well. Um, but that's, and then we've had some same-sex couples where it's happening as well. So we do see some changes in demographics there, but that's traditionally the largest group of cross-border cases. So for okay. missing children, you're an important thing to work on. Well, particularly we also looking, the, well, sorry, go on. No, I was just going to say, particularly also because the European Union, with its promotion of, for example, the Erasmus program and, you know, young people uh, doing their exchanges abroad, oh. more international couples oh. uh, and also more international divorce. So this is this is a growing area for us. Oh, I can see and then, another program there. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. We have one and, and I'm thinking of expanding that. So it's a really interesting, um, yeah, really interesting and very European phenomenon, phenomenon, oh, okay. uh, I would say. Um, and then we have missing children in migration, which is yeah also unfortunately um, 
um, a, a group that that's um, that goes missing and where a large majority of the cases end in um, not solved. Um, so children come to Europe in search of a better future are recorded at some point by a an authority and are then reported missing uh, from wherever they they were received. Um, by a guardian or by the the institution where they were staying, and uh, are never found back. Um, well, let so me ask you a question on that one. Can I just just to sort of just halt a second? Um, in the UK, and I did a lot of work with kind of um, uh, young um, uh, refu- unaccompanied refugee children, mm-hmm. unaccom- unaccompanied asylum yep. seeking children. Who obviously in in the UK, obviously you all know this. It's just a case of if they land in a particular local authority's area, the local authority, if they're under eighteen, are obliged to um, to take them into the care of the local authority and actually do everything with them that they would with any other child in their care, as well as actually help them represent through the legal process and so forth. However, is that a universal response to unaccompanied migrant children across the areas of Europe you deal with. How, could you repeat? Like, do, what do would they, be the universal children, response? for example, who land in another European, other European countries? Are do they tend to get taken into care in that same way or looked after in the same way by the state uh, as a child? Um, I, I think that's that should be the European response. So I, I think guardianship is the absolute, um, you know, is, is the absolute necessity. And I think that's that's one of the things that um, um, that Europe is working on. I think, uh, as I understand, the European Guardianship Network is being supported by the European Commission um, strongly, also with a, with a, a multi year grant now. So it is something that they really want to improve. I mean, and, and the thing is, it's it's the regulation, but the implementation is far from perfect and is very. Um, diverse across Europe, and that's something, um, yeah, that 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 we sh- that we should probably um, be mapping uh, to see. Like, you know, the rule is that you know a child should have access to a guardian uh, upon arrival, uh, and how how fast is that? Then is that twenty four hours? Is that three days? Uh, three days is already risky because you, most of these young people go missing very shortly after their their arrival. Um, so yeah, I think ha- how guardianship is implemented in practice, uh, and how how powerful these systems are, and how qualitative these systems are, is something that still needs to be, you know, mapped and and further strengthened. Well, so that's, that's going to be tested to the limit, I think, because of the increase yes. uh, and continuing increase in, in migration yep. numbers. Um, when resources, even if it's just a question of resources. Not, not always being available, and therefore what happens to these youngsters while they're waiting to be placed and all this kind of thing. It, it, it gets very, very, very curious. Now, But I'm watching the time here, so I must ask mm-hmm. you just a few things before. I, I was always aware during my years of practice, when you talked of missing children, you did indeed, as you do, you talk about the runaways, you talk about um, parental abductions, you talk about and now increasingly missing in migration, as you said. Mm-hmm. But yeah. there was a one rather, I mean, I, I didn't ever like the title, but it, it kind of, it did, it told you what it meant. And that was throwaways. Uh. And effectively the children that are literally kicked out or thrown yeah. away, if you want to put yeah. it bluntly. And they weren't a small group, were they? No. 
No. Um, I think when if if anybody takes the course, this this issue will be discussed. I think in week two of the course, <laughs> it's yeah. it's one of the first. Uh, we talk about different trajectories of of children going missing um, uh, as runaways, and we describe two trajectories running from and running to. Um, and then we have a third c- category of young people who feel like they had no choice but to leave home. And, and as we were writing that part, you know, we got into this big philosophical discussion about how, how different are these? How different is it for a child to feel thrown away and for a child to feel like it has no other choice but to leave home, mm. um, you know, in terms of its problem solving behavior? And, and, and it's, it's a very... It's really a sliding category, um, and it's hard to say from which point does somebody feel like a throwaway, and from which point is it somebody who runs away from home, just running from a conflictual situation or a situation of abuse. And I, I, it's we we found it very hard to define that line. And so a lot of the children, there's very few. You know, I would say that the the, the category of children that runs towards something, and then it's often you know a lover or to be with another family member where they would feel more secure. Even then, you know, there's usually a reason why being at home doesn't feel better than, you know, um, running away. So it is a sliding category, uh, but but very important to say. And I think a lot of the young people we talk to um, don't like the title of runaway because they felt like they were, you know, were really put out of the house. And so a reason why children might be put out of the house can be, for example, um, we've seen it seen it during COVID-19 you know um, when when trouble gets too big when there's too much conflict and so parents would would set an older child who's 16 or 17 that they think can fend for themselves but whose brains as as social workers you'll all know have not been you know fully developed and so decision making and risk assessment for them is not the same way as an adult who would guide them and so they are at risk even if they look like they can fend for themselves even if they are fully grown physically you know they're mentally not fully grown and and still need support from adults in their decision making and and just deserve support in general and so that's one thing yeah. uh, that we do yeah. see happening. Another issue is LGBT young runaways, where we have an impression um, from the US, we know that 50%, no, not 50, 40%, I think, of young people living in the streets, of young homeless people, are people who are LGBTQ and so have been set put out of the home or have felt that they needed to leave home because they were not welcome in this environment. Is that in the identity. States, 40%? That was in the United States. Yeah. Those figures yeah. are a few years old. I think they're from 2015. But still, I, that, you know, that that's a... Um, and, mm. and this is something we, we also try to find out in Europe if, if this might be the case. And, and it's figures that we are not keeping. And so we are looking for a different way of, of looking at those figures. So maybe rather than looking at the hotlines where children are often reported missing by the parents who might not, um, you know, might not report that kind of information if they're the ones reporting that the child is missing, um, that there was an issue around coming out and, and that's why the child might be missing. Um, but what we do see in the case studies, you know, in, in cases where we talk about that, it actually that that is a factor that does play a role. Um, and in some of the case studies, it's very clearly one of the reasons why a child felt it needed to leave home and that, that that's the reason why it's in the streets. 
um, or why it is in yeah and so in a shelter and so that that's also something we, we think um, might need some further research in the well, future a lot more should be done about that and we yep. looked into that you're quite right now look now look I, I think we've got about a couple of minutes left here in terms of the timing mm-hmm. and there's so <laughs> still so much to talk there's about so much else to talk about and when and we will we'll come back to it because it's, it's a subject I think you know you, you can't you can't um, ignore so would let's think of a message that you might like to give across to people what to look for and get that that telephone number again anything else you want to stick in in that last sort of couple of minutes just say what your message would be to people listening and then uh, we'll have to bring it to a close I think the first one is definitely indeed the number. So report any any concerns you have about children um, who might be at risk of going missing to the 116000. And that's a European um, number. That's all that's over a European Europe. number. Right. All over Europe and in four or five non-member states. So the UK, Switzerland, um, and some others uh, outside of the EU. So yes, and, and all across the EU. So I think most people, a lot of people who will be listening will, will know that number. That's the first one. Uh, I think the second one is take our course. If you want to learn to recognize the signs of a child who is a runaway or might be running away, if you work in a school, if you're a social worker, if you you know, if you work in the streets, if you are on a public transport, if you're a police um, law enforcement official um, and you want to learn more about this, take the course. Everybody is welcome. Free. Parents are welcome. It's, free. it's for free. It costs you nothing. It's only four weeks. Uh, we're not going to overburden you with stuff. Uh, we're trying to keep it light. Um, so, yes, absolutely. Um, we run it the first time in January. Um, that's when it will be available in English, but it will be available in French, in German, and I think in Spanish, if I'm not mistaken, uh, later on in the year. We'll run it again in July and in December or November of, uh, of next year as well. So we're running it um, three times a year for the next two years in all these languages. So please have a look when you have the time, when you have some space, um, have a look at that. And for the rest, anything you're interested in, in the work that we do, missingchildreneurope.eu. All right, uh, whether that's it's- lovely. Listen, I've got to also say that my experience of Missing Children Europe, but also so many other smaller NGOs around the world that are actually sort of trying to tackle these huge subjects, it is vital that people recognise the importance of the work that they are doing. And it's vital that people also can now recognise that they can be trusted and if they've got suspicions, whereas in the past they might, oh, I don't want to make a fuss. I don't want to think I might yep. be wrong. I might be making an assumption. I might be wrong. You know, it's fine. Be wrong because nowadays most people that you can give a ring to in 116000 or wherever will know that you're actually doing it for the right reasons and there's not yes. going to be any comebacks on things if you've just got honest to God, it's, it's suspicion of something yep. or worry for a child, just, mm-hmm. just just do it. These days that we're far, far better and far, far more able to be trusted with your information. So Absolutely. Achie, thank you. I'm so sorry we haven't got another 15 hours to talk. Um, <laughs> but, we'll make uh, time. <laughs> we'll make time. And, um, but I'm going to have to stop it now and say thanks very much. But for everybody listening, there will be all the details you need on the front page of the podcast. So thanks for listening. We'll see you soon. I'll be back with another subject in the not-too-distant future. But for now, and Missing Children Europe, Aki, 
You're very welcome and thank you for joining me. Thank you, David.